0: to celebrate Jesus' resurrection this morning. You can be seated. We're going to do things a little different this morning than we typically do, and so I invite you to just join in with enthusiasm and worship. We'll take some more time toward the end of the service to worship Jesus in song, but for right now, I want to thank you for being with us. If you're a regular at Bethany, we're glad that you're here. If you're a guest with us for the first time, or maybe you're back for a long time, or for the first time in a long time, we're glad you're here. We hope that you enjoy the service. We hope that you sense God's love for you. You feel welcome. We'd also love to help you get to know Bethany a little bit more. So if you have questions about Bethany or you'd like to get to know a little bit more about the church, we've got a special spot for that. It's called Guest Central. It's right outside the doors in the lobby. There'll be some folks there after service who would love to shake your hand, answer any questions you might have. They've even got a small gift to give to you to say thanks for being with us this morning. And so we hope you'll take advantage of that. If you're joining us online and you're a guest, we'd love to help you get to know the church as well and we can do that if you'll just text the word hello to 413-360-61 that will give us an opportunity to text you back and we'll get the ball rolling that way. So, happy Easter. We are glad that you are here and I want to thank you all for your partnership in what God is doing here at Bethany. Because of your faithfulness in prayer, in service, and in giving, we're able to do many different kinds of ministries to help people to know the good news about Jesus, like the one we're going to do this morning in just a few moments, but also like we did yesterday at our Easter egg hunt. And I want to thank all of the volunteers who came out for our Easter egg hunt. We had a great morning. God gave us great weather and held that off, and we had an opportunity to minister to a a lot of kids were grateful for the TNT Puppet Team and for their ministry. We had a lot of kids respond when they heard the good news, and we we're praying that God will water those seeds and help them to grow in their lives, and so thank you for those who participated, and thank you for those who have given. Because of your faithfulness in giving, we're able to do outreaches like these that minister to families, to children, and to adults, and help them to understand what it is that Jesus has done for them. You know that you can give in a number of ways, but this morning we're bringing back what you might think of as the old school way, and that is we have ushers here who are going to have offering bags, but you can also give in the boxes in the lobby. You can give via uh, our website online at bethany-ag.org, and we're grateful for your faithfulness however you give, because We understand that when you give, you're partnering with us and helping to proclaim the good news about Jesus, and we hope that you will understand what you do, not as just a duty, an obligation, or something just out of the kindness of your heart, but that you do it because you understand that God wants to use you as a partner in his work here in the Pioneer Valley. Would you join me and let's pray, ask for God's blessing on this service, and then we'll give as we watch the BN in just a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you that it is Easter. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to celebrate what you've done for us in Jesus, to remember the life we have in Him. We pray for your blessing on this service, your grace on all that takes place in it, and that we would experience your presence. And Lord, we thank you for how you have provided for all of our needs. We ask that you would help us to be generous in how we give so that we can continue to proclaim faithfully the good news that Jesus is alive and that He saves us. We love you and we thank you. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray and we believe. Amen. Well, congratulations. You did it. You made it to church on Easter. And if you're a regular, maybe this is just another exciting day, a, a day to celebrate something that's unique among all of our holidays during the year. Maybe it's more of a biannual checkup for you. You're here on Christmas, you're here on Easter, and you feel like that's probably good enough. God can't ask too much more than that, can He? Maybe others are here because they're as a pesky neighbor and they would not leave you alone, or because your mom kept asking and you knew that you would be shunned for the next six months if you did not show up to church on Easter. And that's okay, whether you came gladly wearing your pastels ready for that family photo when the service is over, or you were dragged here begrudgingly for our part, we're glad you're here, welcome to church, and we hope that you have a great morning. But why are you here on Easter? Easter? Why today, what makes today the day when everybody invites their friends and when everybody's mom expects that they're going to be in church? What's so special about being in church on Easter Sunday? Well, if you're even vaguely familiar with Easter, you'll know it might have something to do with new life or Jesus rising from the dead or something like that, and that's true. Easter is the day that Christians celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead, and we highlight that resurrection today. So it is a day where we emphasize joy, we emphasize life, we emphasize new birth and things happening, and we do that. But with all of the cultural trappings of Easter, the bunnies, the pastels, the chocolates, the the flowers, we can't skip over the dark part of this story that made Easter necessary. See, there's no need for new life or for resurrection if there isn't any death. And death is a big problem, isn't it? I mean, we know that everybody dies. Nobody in our lives will last forever, and yet that doesn't make it easier when someone we love dies, does it? When someone you love dies, you don't just shrug it off and go, eh, everybody's got to go sometime, I guess, you know, no big deal, right? No, you don't do that. When someone you love, when someone you care about dies, you grieve, you mourn, it hurts. It hurts. The separation hurts. The feeling of loss can be crushing, even though loss isn't unexpected. I recall the crushing feeling after my wife and I lost a child to miscarriage. And I, I remember holding that little boy in my hands and weeping and grieving with my wife with his lifeless body and wondering why it hurts so much to lose someone I'd never even had the opportunity to meet. I remember getting a phone call when I was 22 years old. My mom said, hey, your, your cousin, who is also my best friend, is being taken to the hospital with some pain in his chest, and I thought, okay, well, I prayed for him. I thought, no big deal, he's young. You'll probably give him some medication. In the next couple of hours, my mom will call and say he's at home and he's fine. Instead, about five minutes later, my mom called and opened with, he's gone. And I remember just the crushing feeling of, what does that even mean? He's gone. He was 22 years old. He was healthy. He, he was living life for God. What do you mean that he's gone? And then I remember the waves of kind of disbelief and of, of just grief that would come over me for months afterward. And you all know what I'm talking about because you've experienced this. You know what it feels like to lose someone. And on a broad scale, we all know what it feels like to experience death because We've been in a season in our culture where death is not uncommon, whether it's because of pandemic or because we see it highlighted through the atrocities of war on the news every day. And we're living at a moment where death isn't far from any one of us. And yet, when we see it, we're all still appalled by it. And on the one hand, you could say, well, there's nothing more common than death because it happens to all of us. And on the other hand, you could say there's nothing more unnatural than death because it hurts so much when it happens. God says that death is the result or is the wages of sin. Now that doesn't mean that everybody dies because of some particular sin. It means that the fact of death and of loss that we experience, the pain and fear we have for death resulted from sin. The crushing feeling of separation, the loss, the fear, that's the result of sin. And by sin, I mean a failure to acknowledge God, to acknowledge that he created us, that he loves us, to live according to his ways, to thank him for what he's done, to know God in our lives. We choose instead to act as if Everything that exists is my body and my desires, and that we're supposed to just live according to those desires, no matter what they are. And so our hearts are hardened, and they're darkened, and we're corrupted. And even when people are spiritual, and they claim some kind of worship to be worshiping something or someone, they worship what God has created rather than worshiping God. God himself, and being devoted to the one who actually created them. And this results in separation from God, which is the ultimate kind of death. It's not just the loss of physical life, but it's estrangement from God, being pulled apart from him, from the God who gave you life, who defines what your life is for and and gives you purpose. And so physical death is a symptom or a manifestation of our separation from God and that separation from God is eternal. It's death, it's, it's hell. And you could see this if you look at the development of art. Sometimes the interpretation of modern abstract forms of art is said to be mostly or even solely left up to the observer. Imagine person after person coming by a particular painting and ascribing uh, their own feelings and their own values and their own meaning to that work of art. Very few may see and interpret it the same way. It's almost as if the observer is the author and ascribes meaning to what she sees. And so we might all look at this one painting and see something totally different in it because nobody knows exactly what that thing is supposed to mean, But imagine if that painting was a person. I don't mean imagine that it was a portrait. I mean imagine if that painting was personified or if a painting could be a real person. And then observer after observer came forward and ascribed his or her own meaning to that person. If that individual didn't know who she was, didn't have a solid sense of identity, didn't have a deep sense of purpose or meaning, then her life would just become about chasing what other people said or thought about her. Whatever meaning they might ascribe to her life. And while that might be okay for a work of modern art, it's really damaging for a person. But this is essentially what sin or rebellion against God does. It says that you weren't made for any real reason outside of one that you either invent for yourself or that other people read into your life and invent for you. And so we learn to chase our own pleasures and our own desires and to pursue our identity in the hope that others will recognize it. And what we usually say is affirm us in that identity, And so we ignore the artist and his intention for our lives, and we chase meaning in the things that God created rather than pursuing meaning through God himself. And though God is angry because of sin, because of our foolish refusal to acknowledge him as God, our creator, he still loves us. And so he did something about it. In fact, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah foretold how God would save us from our sin through his son, Jesus. Isaiah 53, 4-6 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought him peace was upon or the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed we all like sheep have gone astray everyone is turned to his own way and the lord has placed on him the iniquity of us all god sent his son jesus to restore his intention his purpose his image to people and to bear our sin and suffer our consequences, and he did this by becoming human, being born as a man and humbling himself to die for us on the cross. He was arrested because of the jealousy of the Jewish leaders. He was accused of crimes he didn't commit. The Roman rulers bypassed justice out of fear, and though they all acted in their own sinful hearts, it was God's plan that they ultimately fulfilled. Because Jesus suffered the crushing of what looked like a meaningless death on our behalf. Though he'd done nothing wrong and he had done nothing to deserve it. But when he did, it was our sin, our shame, our punishment that was placed upon him. So great. The image of the invisible God who came to restore the image of God in humanity became an offering, a substitute for my sin and for your sin. And it may be hard to understand how Jesus could do that. And so to help us to understand, I want you to think about a painting again. And this time, imagine with me a fine portrait of of a person beautifully painted by a master painter. What would happen if that piece was taken out of a museum of fine art and it was brought onto a busy street corner and placed there on an easel with nobody guarding it or watching it? I mean, people would probably stop by and admire it at first, and then they'd probably get some dirt and grime on it. And I imagine that eventually there would be somebody brazen enough to come along and deface it. They'd draw a little mustache on it, and then somebody else would come along, and they'd be having a bad day, and they'd take their anger out on it. And somebody else would probably write a curse word on it. And eventually that painting, that portrait of a person, would become defaced and totally unrecognizable. Or you might be able to think about it like a piece of fine music as well. Like somebody had written a a beautiful piece, composed it, and another person heard it played and they thought it was beautiful and they wanted to bring it to the masses. But in order to do that, they simplified it and they made it something that it wasn't. And then they played it in elevators and shopping malls as background music for people. And one day the composer is walking in that mall and she hears her song being played, but not as it's supposed to be played. It's been robbed of its beauty, of its emotion, of its meaning. If she wanted to fix it, What could she do? She'd have to hire a professional musician who knew how to play it the way it was supposed to be played, have that person sit down and play it and record it as it was meant to be. Or imagine the painter. If he walks by that street corner and he sees his masterpiece displayed but defaced and he wanted to restore it, what could he do about it? He'd have to have the person whose portrait he had painted, come and sit down again for another session so that he could remake the image as it was intended to be. And this is what Jesus did for us. In essence, he came and he sat for a remaking of the portrait, a re-recording of the piece that shows who we are supposed to be. And he did this through his teaching, he did it through his love, his compassion, but he also did it when he died on the cross for our sin. You might ask, why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't God just be nice and forgive? Well, one reason is because God is just. Take a really bad sin, for instance. Say, murder. Do we really want a God who would just overlook murder as if nothing at all? had happened could we trust such a God to be just with us or with the rest of life if he just overlooked things like that could we call that justice I would argue that we couldn't we couldn't call it justice and we couldn't trust him now you may not be a murderer but the reason that murder is wrong that it is sin according to God is because it destroys someone who was made in God's image with built-in moral value and purpose and if you think about it that way then we've all defaced god's image in our lives or in the lives of others we've defaced his purpose and his meaning so murder is a matter of degree it's not a different kind of sin all sin is a sin against God's glory an offense against him and against his image and his purpose for our lives. And so God couldn't be just and just let us off the hook. The penalty had to be paid and that penalty was satisfied when Jesus died on the cross for us. Another way to think about why Jesus had to die is because forgiveness is costly suffering. And you know this from your own experience. I mean, if you ever loaned somebody money and then decided to forgive them, it's not as if because you were nice, the money appears back in your account, does it? No, in order to forgive someone, you pay their debt. They get what they didn't, what they weren't owed, but you have to pay what you didn't owe if you decide to forgive them. And this is true in a moral sense as well. We know that if someone hurts us, they offend us, they wrong us, lie about us, cheats on you, then you decide that you're gonna forgive them, to really forgive them, not to pretend like you've forgiven them, but then make them pay through the long process of guilt and, and, and fear in their lives. But if you decide to really forgive them, does the pain that you experience because of what they did to you just go away? Does the tension and awkwardness just disappear? Do you automatically forget what happened? No. No, you pay the price through your decision not to hold it over them, not to talk about them behind their backs, not to tell other people about what they did, not to embarrass them. You pay the moral price for what they did internally. Even if that price can't be quantified, we all know that to forgive someone is costly and it hurts. Could it be that our experience of forgiveness is a reflection of a larger truth about God. That forgiveness doesn't just mean that the offense disappears, that the sin evaporates, but forgiveness means costly suffering for the one who chooses to forgive. And if forgiveness is costly suffering, how can God forgive? Since he's perfect and he's eternal and he can't suffer like you and I do. He did it by sending his son Jesus in the image of man by becoming a real human being so that he could suffer for our sin by dying on the cross and there on the cross humanity expressed its sin against Jesus and Jesus bore our sin but that can't be the end of the story can it because if the end of the story is the death of the hero, then all we're left with is a reality in which there is no hope of salvation for any of us. If the story ends with Jesus' death and burial, we wouldn't be here this morning. We wouldn't even know that story. Jesus would have been utterly forgotten one of thousands of others of zealous Jews who the Romans crucified during the first century. His followers would not have written about this. They would not have given up their lives for the promises of a dead man. But because he is the eternal Son of God, and he had not sinned himself, but he had walked perfectly with God the Father, death couldn't be the end for Jesus. The price of sin had been paid. The costly suffering for forgiveness had been endured. And having expressed the image of God as humanity was supposed to, and yet dying for sin, Acts 2, 24 declares, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Death, the thing that everyone fears, that everyone must endure and yet seem so unnatural met its match. It couldn't hold the author of life. And so another prophecy from the same prophet who foretold that Jesus would bear our sin and be crushed for our iniquity, that came to pass and it was fulfilled when Jesus rose and death was swallowed up in victory. Jesus is alive. And that means something fantastic for you and I. But let's get back to that idea of an image or a portrait for just a minute so that we can understand What Jesus being alive means for us. Because if Jesus came and he represented what we were supposed to be, he was the man that we were supposed to be, he was the human that we were supposed to be, and he came and he sat for that portrait so that the image of God could be repainted and repaired in us. How do we receive that? How can Jesus, his death, his resurrection, how does it get counted for me on my behalf, how does what he did restore me to the purpose and meaning for which God made me? Some people think that if they'll go to church once or twice a year, that will be good enough for God. I mean, God can't ask too much more than that of you, can he? And some people think that if they make their mom happy on Easter, well, that's gotta make God happy, right? well, that's good, we're glad you made your mom happy on Easter and we're glad that you're here, but that's not how this works. Some people think that if they'll just believe the right stuff, that makes them good enough for God, but that's not how God says that you receive his grace and the gift of salvation, being right with him again. He says that you receive it by faith, but this kind of faith is not just believing the right stuff or belonging to the right church, Here's what the word of God says faith looks like. In Romans chapter six, verses one through four, it says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that God's grace may abound? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When you have faith in Jesus, you're joined to him. He became human, like you, and he died for you so that you could be joined to him and you could live in him. And this is so much more than just a list of morals that you're supposed to hold on to or to follow, or some vague hope that when you die, you'll go to the good place and not the bad place. This is way more than that. Faith begins with repentance. And repentance sounds complicated, but it means something really simple. It means that you change your mind. Now when you change your mind about something, unless you're just a real flake, then you also change your actions, don't you? It changes something about you. Now imagine this, that you have been living a life like one of those paintings where you have been defaced and demoralized and the painting of the image of God in your life is so distorted that nobody can see it. And you recognize one day and acknowledge this isn't how life is supposed to be. And God actually created me to be a certain way, but I'm not living that way, and one day you recognize that. The light comes on in your life, and you say, I'm not living how God made me to live, and you, you change your mind. You say, I refused to acknowledge God, to live my life his way, but one day you say, now I acknowledge God, and I wanna live his way. That's repentance. It's acknowledging that you were against God at one point, but that he's made a way for you to be for him. That's the first way that faith works in our lives, but faith continues from there, and it continues when your life is joined to Jesus because Jesus was the eternal son of God, is the eternal son of God. When you believe in him, you're not just believing a fact, you're believing a person, and this is what Paul meant when he talked about baptism. Baptism symbolizes that you've died to yourself and you now live in Jesus. It was an image of being born again into a new life in Christ. And that's how his portrait, or what Jesus did for you on the cross, and when he was raised from the dead, gets applied in your life. He doesn't make you the same as everybody else, but he does make a new you that is spiritually alive in him and in whom God's purposes are being restored. And that means that rather than living in the sin and death that once characterized your life, the rebellion against God in which you once walked, you now walk in a new life, a resurrected kind of life, because Jesus is alive again. And Jesus' life is being reproduced in those who have faith in him. So if you're already a believer in Jesus, What this means for you is that life is not a matter of waiting for heaven, but of learning to live like Jesus as God reshapes you and remakes you in his image. It means that sin and addiction will die in your life as you produce something new through Jesus. It means that you no longer live according to your old intentions, but you now live according to God's purposes and his intentions for your life. You think of yourself as being dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus should fill you with passion to walk in this new kind of life. You've not been saved so that you can remain the same until you die or Jesus returns. You've been saved and redeemed so that you can live a life of righteousness and peace and joy and walk in God's power until you die or Jesus comes back. And so if you're a believer in Jesus today, The good news of the resurrection, the reminder of Easter Sunday and of Resurrection Sunday is this for you, that life is not to be something settled, stagnant, and not moving, but that life for you is to be a continual movement toward becoming like Jesus in and through his power. It means that if you're struggling with addiction or fear, or anxiety, or shame, or guilt as a believer. You bring these things to the cross, but you expect that you will walk in newness of life. It means that sin should be put to death, and victory should be yours in Jesus. Faith in Jesus, if you're a believer, and the reminder of Resurrection Sunday is, I don't walk in death, I walk in newness of life and any old part of me that is still clinging on, I wanna get rid of and put to death because Jesus already paid for that and he rose from the dead that I might have power to overcome and live God's purpose for my life and not my own purpose for my life. But if you're not a believer in Jesus this morning, this means that God is offering you a way to have new life by faith in Jesus. In spite of your guilt before God that you can't erase with your good works or by coming to church on Easter and which actually makes all of us God's enemies and means that we deserve his judgment against our sin because he made us and yet we refuse to acknowledge him. Instead, God offers forgiveness and grace if you will repent, change your mind, and believe, trust in Jesus. And the new life you will gain is not only a life for right now, as God will work in you and change you, transform you, but it's an eternal life. First Corinthians 15, 49 talks about this image of God and what it means for those who believe in Jesus. It says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, the sinful man, the man condemned to death, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus Christ, the perfect man, the man who gives eternal life. Right now, if you don't know Jesus and have faith in him, relationship with him, you bear the image of the man of dust. You're lost in your sin, you're separated from God, but if you will repent and you will believe in Jesus, you will bear the image of God's Son who will give you new life and it will bring about spiritual life now and will bring about eternal life as well when Jesus returns. We began today talking about the big problem of death. It's something that we all face, but that we nevertheless feel is totally unnatural and shouldn't happen. We're appalled when we see it. Perhaps that's because it is unnatural. Perhaps that's because God did not create us in order to die and be separated from him. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you're no longer stuck in your sin. But if you've not put your faith in Jesus, then you're still stuck in that sin and that death and that fear and that separation from God. But the good news for you this morning is that nobody here did anything to earn or to deserve salvation or being right with God. No single person here did anything to earn forgiveness Today we didn't come to church to celebrate that we were good enough and to say, look at us Christians, look how we clean up for Easter. We didn't come to church for that. We came to church because we remembered today that we have been reborn through Jesus that our lives once trapped in sin and darkness and rebellion against God have been remade into something new, filled with peace and joy and hope and a promise of eternal life. Today if you don't have that hope, if you don't know that peace, if you know that you're not right with God, that salvation is available to you just like it was to me, just like it was to anybody else. It comes by faith and because of God's grace. It doesn't come because you came to church on Easter. It doesn't doesn't happen because you're going to clean yourself up. It doesn't happen because you're going to make yourself look nice. You're going to do enough good deeds to outweigh your bad deeds. That's got nothing to do with the gospel. That's humanistic, worldly thinking. The gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that while we were stuck in our sin, God sent his son to bear our sin on the cross, and then he raised him from the dead so that we could have new life. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to just close your eyes for a moment. If you don't have that new life in Jesus, maybe you're stuck in sin and rebellion. You know what I was talking about earlier when you when we were talking about the fear of death or the sense that there's a lack of meaning or purpose in your life. Maybe you understood when I said it's like a, a, a line, a parade of people are coming to observe you and whatever you think is gonna make them happy, whatever you think is gonna help them to think you look good, that's the image you try to present. That's the identity you try to portray. And so your life has become about chasing either your desires or what other people will affirm in you. And you've got no root, you've got no foundation, you feel like you're floundering. You've got nothing solid in your life to hold on to except this reality that I've gotta chase pleasure while I can because one day, like everybody else, I'm doomed to die. The good news of the gospel of Jesus is this, that if you will believe in him by faith, if you will repent, change your mind today about how you've been running away from God And you will instead trust Jesus and say, God, my life is not about making my own meaning, but it is about being restored in the meaning that you had for me, the image of your son. The Bible says you will be saved. God will redeem you. He will change your life beginning today from the inside out, but he will also guarantee you eternal life, a life that's not void of meaning, a life that is not void of purpose, and a life that doesn't stop. Just when physical life stops. But he promises that when Jesus returns, he too will raise you from the dead. If you don't have that relationship with God through Jesus today, we want to give you that opportunity to do that. And it doesn't happen because you respond to me, but because you respond to God. But I do want to give you the opportunity to respond and say, yes, Lord, I am repenting and I am confessing that Jesus is my Savior. I am believing in him this morning. And so today if you felt as you came in that sense of convincing in your heart that the story that was shared today about the good news of salvation through Jesus is true and you know that you need that. You need that transformation, that change, forgiveness from God in your life. I'm going to ask you to just confess that and believe it today and just signal that you are by just lifting your hand. If you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus and you want to begin that today, putting your trust in Him, believing Him for salvation, no longer trusting yourself in your own image, but instead trusting yourself to Jesus, would you just lift up your hand? Is there anybody like that? Thank you. Thank you, sir. Is there anybody else? If you're online and you want to respond, you can just text the word hope to 413 We'll respond to you that way. But is there anybody else here this morning you want to respond by trusting Jesus? You want to put your faith in him today, confessing how you've been rebelling against him and instead believing in him for salvation? I'm going to wait for just a moment because I don't want you to be worried about what somebody else thinks of you. Who cares? You're not here for them today, you're here because God brought you here and he set up this moment for you. Will you respond to him? I'm gonna wait for just a moment longer. Thank you, sir. If you lifted your hand, I'm gonna ask you to pray with me and you can just pray in your heart as I pray, but I wanna ask you to make this prayer your own. You won't be saved because I said the right words. You're saved when you put your faith in Jesus. And I'm gonna just help you express that this morning if you'd allow me to. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name I come to you and I confess that I've been living my life in rebellion against God. I repent today. I change my mind. I believe that Jesus died for me and that you raised him from the dead. And I acknowledge that you are God and that he is my Lord. Today I confess that I want to follow him and make him my Lord, not only in thought but in deed. Lord, I pray for your forgiveness. I've run from you and I've done what's wrong, but I pray that you would make me new today and I put myself in your hands, believing that I'm made new Not because of something I'm doing, but because of what Jesus has done for me. I put my trust fully in him. And from today on, I want to walk by faith in Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, would you stand with me and let's praise God for a moment for what he's done. Would you just lift up in your own words and in your own voice and maybe even with your own hands and would you worship Jesus because he is alive and he has saved us. Lord, we bless your name. Jesus, we thank you. We worship you. There's no God like you. No one has done what you've done for us and today we recognize that you are alive and we celebrate the salvation we have in you. Jesus, there's nobody who is like you and we love you today we rejoice in you and we thank you for new life Lord let us walk in that newness of life let us walk in your grace and in your power Thank you, Jesus. Church, we're going to continue to celebrate that Jesus is alive, and as we do, we're going to sing some songs. And I want to ask you if you would join in, not watching what's going on, but celebrating what Jesus has done in your life. He's brought you out of darkness and into light. He set you free from the kingdom of sin and Satan and brought you into the kingdom of his beloved Son. You have redemption and freedom in him. You have a new kind of life in him. Will you rejoice in him this morning? Let's praise our risen Savior, Jesus. Who we praise you this morning, Jesus.
1: Yeah. My sin was heavy, but chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was a northern. Now you call me a citizen of heaven. declare the power of the name of Jesus we rejoice in the power of the name of Jesus you have conquered all you have won it all we give you glory And begin to lift up your own song to the Lord this morning. Oh, we praise you, Jesus. Oh, we know that you have The Pray- Somebody thankful this morning, death could not hold him. He has no rival, it is finished. striving now I am born again there Jesus was forsaken so I will never be His grace is my salvation the gift of God done it is finished Christ has mercy is complete. His love is not in question. The Son of
2: Lord united on that truth there is no hope in this world there is no hope in each other but in Jesus so Lord this morning we praise you we praise you Father for resurrecting your son Jesus we praise you for sitting at the right hand of the Father clothed with glory all kingdoms are under your authority Lord and we praise you and thank you Lord we ask That this Resurrection Sunday would not just be one-off event, but Lord, that your resurrection would dictate the way we live our lives. That God, we would see our destiny, our meaning, our purpose through the lens of your resurrection. That God, you want to put your life in us. So Lord, we praise you. We acknowledge you as king. We love you here this morning. Praise you, Jesus. Let's just give him another hand of praise. Worship you, Lord.
0: Just a story, but Jesus is really alive and that is true And so what difference should that make in our lives? It means we walk in victory in the power of Jesus. doesn't mean we live a life free of suffering or difficulty, but it means that we live a life of confidence because Jesus has already won the biggest battle. If death could not hold Jesus and he offers to bring you to him and give you new life and guarantee you eternal life, what could stop him? And so what should put a damper on the confidence of a Christian? And this is not just a feeling for Easter Sunday. This is the reality in which we as believers should walk and live. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's walk in that newness of life. This morning if you raised your hand and you wanted to give your life to Christ There are gonna be some prayer partners, in fact, our prayer partners, pastors, deacons, deaconesses, if you can just go ahead and make your way forward now, there are gonna be some prayer partners to pray with you. We would love for you to come and to receive prayer before you go. We have a, a small book that we'd like to give to you to just give you some direction of what do I do now that I've confessed faith in Jesus. So if you raise your hand, or you wish you would have, you say, hey, I didn't, but I wish that I would have, come and pray with one of us. If you've got a need in your life that you want to pray that God's resurrection power through Jesus. will help you to overcome or break bondage or bring healing. We'd be happy to do that as well. Otherwise, we hope to see you back here again, perhaps next Sunday at 9 or 11. Until then, go in God's grace and in his peace and walk in the new life he's given us through his son, Jesus.